Welcome back to another episode of the Politic Pod podcast. Today's episode is the final of three episodes, which are shorter and will take place uh, while I'm out of the country. So it is the third and final pre-recorded episode before we talk about more current affairs issue. And actually on that matter, before I forget, uh, the next episode after this, we will officially know who our next prime minister will be. Will it be Lytras, as many people believe it will be, and it seems set on? Or will Vishu Sinak make an astonishing late comeback? I guess we'll have to find out. And while you're listening to this, you'll have a better picture of the situation than we presently do. But today's episode is about Britain's big issues. And so what I have done, I've run on YouGov, and I've looked at the major issues according to the British public, the main five, and then we've both ranked them, and we're going to discuss them for a little bit each. But first, it's a quiz. So I talked about YouGov, YouGov there. The question for you, Nasif, today is which senior, con- which senior conservative politician co-founded YouGov? Senior at this current moment in time? Uh, yes, at this current moment in time. Very senior. Ooh, and, and they founded YouGov, right. Um, I feel like, can I hint at Dominic Raab? Uh, no, uh, he's even more senior than him. Even senior? Oh, um, oh goodness. Right, Boris Johnson? Uh, no, not as senior as him. <laughs> Uh, oh wow, okay. Um, Liz Truss. No, even more senior than her. Even <laughs> more, oh, goodness, right. Um, all right, well, she's currently foreign secretary, so what could be far more? Uh, Rishi Sunak. Very close. Ooh, all right, I'll, I'll have one, one last guess. guess. I'm, I'm absolutely terrible at this, but uh, I'm, I'm gonna take a hint at um, Ben Wallace. No, it's not Ben Wallace. It is, you're, when you say Rishi Sunak, you're right, uh, since he was the Chancellor, it is the present Chancellor, Nadeem Sahari. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Okay. No, there's your fun fact for the day, everyone listening. So you're probably wondering, what are these five big issues in the country? So the five biggest issues in the country, according to the British public, are health, immigration, the economy, the environment and Brexit. So before this episode, I sent these five, uh, five issues in a list to Nasif and told him to rank them. And he replied, uh, as he normally does in Roman numerals, uh, very traditional. And his list was fifth, immigration, fourth, Brexit, third, no, actually, sorry, fifth, Brexit, fourth, immigration, third, the environment, second health and first the economy and this is very similar to mine i put uh, the only difference is i put immigration last i put brexit fourth i put and the environment third i put health second and i put the economy first so our top three are all the same uh, but let's start off with our difference so i put brexit fourth and i put immigration fifth you added a very round uh why is that I, um, when I was ordering these, I was, I was thinking, okay, well, let's start at the top. I, I generally 
you know, as most people do, start with that which is the most important. And so I kept going down to this. I said, okay, um, I think economy is the most important, then health, then environment. And then I came to immigration and Brexit. And at first I thought, okay, well, these are relatively similar issues. I mean, you know, Brexit plus immigration. They usually went hand in hand when I used to hear them on the news. Um, but I eventually sort of tried to separate them out and think, okay, which is less important? So I went with that strategy. Um, and I concluded that Brexit at this current moment in time is less important. I, uh, the reason why I put Brexit fit is we have already left the EU. The vote for Brexit was eight years ago. A lot has changed. Six years ago, but still. Um, oh, sorry, no. Yes, six yes, years ago. Still a long time. Yeah, indeed. Thank you for the correction. But um, nonetheless, a lot has changed since then. I think there are many people in Britain who have European um, sentiment, and um, uh, that's understandable. I, 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 when Brexit happened, I was actually a Remainer. Um, but I think at this point, we kind of have to accept we've left. And we now have to move into a different direction. I, I don't think there's any possibility that we could perhaps remotely even want to return to the European Union now that we've left. And I think we ought to turn our focus elsewhere. For example, the Commonwealth. That's, a generally, um, th that's an example that's generally brought up quite often. So I put Brexit fifth um, as it's not really relevant anymore. Uh, we don't really see it on the news anymore. Our relations with the EU have more or less stabilised. We've more or less dealt with all the treaties and the, and the policies um, regarding the European Union. I think ultimately now it's just a matter of sort of diplomatic ties. How are we going to respond to the actions of the EU and how are we going to get on with them? And I, I, you know, I would, in spite of the fact that we've left, I would encourage good relations with the European Union and I would encourage just generally strong diplomatic relations, considering that the EU also consists of many sort of Western liberal democracies. Um, so, you know, I, I put it as fifth as um, it really shouldn't be the main focus of government anymore. Um, and, and far less than immigration, which I think is a lot closer to home and a lot more to do with our domestic policy, which is the reason as to why we left the EU in the first place. The reason I swapped around a bit, I feel as though with, so I'll try and explain my points of view. So uh, Brexit, Ryan saying that now, the huge bulk of stuff is done, you know, a few years ago, Brexit by far was the most important issue, uh, but we got a deal, we got out of the EU, we got a free trade agreement with them. Uh, there's a lot to be said about strengthening ties with the EU in whatever way that may be. I think that's something that we should definitely consider. Uh, there is a Northern Ireland Protocol bill, which, you know, has uh, become quite a bit of a controversial topic between us and Brussels. Uh, they're not too fond of it. We, you know, are trying to push it through. Uh, ultimately, at the end of that, I feel as though we, like Northern Ireland unity within the UK is extremely important. I believe that should come first uh, when we decide foreign policy. Um but, you know, that's another topic for another time. But the thing with Brexit, there's, you know, for it's going to be debate whether it's the right or wrong decision for decades to come. And we're just going to have to wait and see how that pans out. But the main thing, I think, with Brexit is that we need to take those opportunities. We've got Brexit done. 
now we need to deliver on Brexit. Regardless of what your opinion is, uh, it cannot be denied that there are both pros and cons of this move. And those opportunities that have been offered to us, we must take them. And we must look at all types of things we can do, try and, whether that be con regulation, uh, which could unleash billions of pounds into the UK economy or whatever it may be. It's something that's quite important still. And I'd imagine it'll be a big topic as will any of these for the next general election. But the reason I've put it above immigration is because the government has introduced more immigration tailored policies in recent years, a bit like um, some the new ah god what the white was it the white paper uh with the legal immigration of course there's debate about that but in terms of legal immigration uh with the rwanda policy of course that's you know hugely controversial some ardent supporters of it and then some that just think it's despicable really uh and that's another topic with like where you sit on the fence for that one but I feel as though immigration, presently at the moment, the government's kind of been more realistic. Like 10 years ago, the government was saying, okay, these are the targets. We're going to reduce immigration to this level. Now they've just scrapped targets because they know it's hard to handle. They're more about making pragmatic decisions to reduce the numbers. But I also think the government know, uh, with our aging population, that we do need quite a big influx of legal immigration. I know that um, like angers lots of people in this country, but we really, at the end of the day, do need more people in this nation because the working age uh, will stay the same, but the average age of the population is ever increasing. And it's why the retirement age is going to be bumped from 65 to 68, at least uh, collecting your state pension. It's because of our aging population and legal immigration is a solution to that, you know, birth rates are dropping as are death rates in this country and have they've been low for you know over a century um so we do need to respond to that in the best way we can and legal immigration is a way to do that uh it's still a big topic but i simply believe that brexit is more important in the present uh time at the present time so those are those two issues. Let's go back to the top and we've both put the economy first. Why did you put the economy first? Well, I think it's I think it's a simple thing, really. From the economy comes everything. You know, um, without, when we don't deal with the economy properly, money runs out. And that's about, it, it, it's about as simple as that. I mean, I'm not very well, um, educated um, into more detailed economics, I must admit. But from seeing the cost of living crisis at this current moment, as well as the ongoing housing crisis, and even the education crisis, where we have plenty of qualified students, um, but not many um, occupations left, and thus competition has been driven up once more. And, 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 and it's, got, it's gone to a point where there have been cases of even PhDs who are struggling in this country. And the way to deal with that, regardless of what solutions there might be, regardless of how we do it, it's all to do with economics. Ultimately, without the economy or without taking much notice towards the economy, we don't 
have the money. And this is something I've said when um, I've looked into sort of um, communism, actually. Um, there's, a, there's a joke that um, someone once told me, which is that um, when you study Soviet economics, you realize there isn't much economics because there isn't much of an economy going around. Um, but, but, you know, I put economy first because from that comes the funds to deal with um, health issues, um, to deal with policies regarding the environment, to deal with um, e even funds to put up with uh, immigration and, and maybe even Brexit. All the others that we have on this list of ours stem from the economy. The economy is money. And if we don't deal with it properly, we just don't have money. As I say, it's, yeah, I don't want to be reductionist, but it's about as simple as that. We must put the economy first. And I know that you know, there are plenty of sacrifices to be made and there are people who are struggling. And, and, and yes, there are many, um, at this current moment, there are many strikes going on, particularly rail strikes at this moment. But I think really as a country, we need to band together. You know, we, we need to sort of stop goofing around. So does the government and, and come to terms with the fact that our economy needs a real shakeup. We need to change policies and we need to sort of be able to um, tax sensibly um, and spend sensibly and quite frankly I'm, I'm afraid the government has uh, at least in my view has not been doing that for the last decade mm. and uh, what is great to tell likewise I've put the economy first is that whenever the economy is an issue in the country as it presently is with the cost of living crisis and slowing growth uh, that by far becomes the number one dominant issue among the British public. When, for example, health becomes an issue like it currently is, it's not necessarily at the top of people's priorities. Uh, so that's a great way to tell. And as you said, everything's based around the economy within this country, even at a government level. Uh, without the Treasury, none of the other departments would be able to function because money is what makes the world go round at the end of the day. And who have Liz Truss um, or Rishi Sunak uh, really needs to get a grip of the economy to tackle inflation uh, and encourage growth. And there are many different uh, policies that people have proposed to do exactly that. Uh, but we're just going to have to wait and see. And all we can be is optimistic about our economy within the country. It is quite sad, in my opinion, that like, just sort of around 2019, when uh, like May handed over to Boris, the economy was starting up again, you know, interest rates were low and we we're really seeing proper growth like we hadn't seen in quite a while. And then just like that, the pandemic hit and that has caused such a massive devastating effect. And many, much of the economic policy of the government has, hasn't been able to take place because of the need for furlough schemes and everything else related with lockdown. So uh, that's the economy. We've both agreed that's first. Now let's talk a little bit about health. Uh, so if both put health second, why is that for you? I think health is a relatively broad thing. So let, let's sort of put a, put a sort of few boundaries on it. When I say health, I'm referring to um, two things mainly, although there are other things, but two things mainly, that is to say, the NHS, our national healthcare system, which I believe has served us incredibly well and, and is a system that, regardless of one's political opinion, most Brits can agree 
is something that we will never give up. And the second thing, when I say, um, when I talk about health, I'm referring to the general well-being of the country. Um, so I put health second um, for, for those particular, for, for those two reasons. The first is the NHS. Now, this is, this is a, a pretty common and relatively obvious argument. The NHS is a system of healthcare where if you are injured or if you need any sort of um, medical um, assistance or help or, or, or if, if you need to go to the hospital, basically, for any needs whatsoever, you can go. You, you can go book an appointment or you can, if you're really desperate, you can go into the hospital and you can seek treatment and it is free at the point of use. Now that phrase there is usually emphasized because when we say at the point of use, what that means is that we actually have to pay for the NHS through our taxes. Now, this is a common argument against the existence of the national healthcare system that actually, oh, we must pay taxes to the government to, to fund the NHS. But personally, I don't think that's a problem. See, the issue is, and, and, and I've mentioned this before, which is that when we don't pay taxes to services that could be paid for by the government, we have to pay for those services with our own hands. And that ends up actually being more expensive for the average individual. For example, in America, they have relatively low tax rates, but that's only because whilst they have low tax rates, they have to individually per person, Americans have to pay a whole load more privately to pay for services. What could otherwise be um, you know, saved, saving a lot of money um, by paying taxes towards the government. There's this mis misconception that the higher taxes go, the more families struggle. And generally, yes, but somewhat no. There's a balancing point because there's a point at which if you pay enough tax to the government, actually, we can save money uh, paying taxes rather than paying directly through our own um, private and direct payment to services like healthcare. So I, I you know, I am a, a firm supporter of the NHS and I think it's a brilliant idea. And with the um, foundation of the NHS in 1948, health, everything, everything in health has been going up and we've been doing um, very well in terms of um, all sorts of diseases and illnesses. You know, there used to be a time before the 40s when uh, your average person could catch a cold and unfortunately die from it. Whereas now with the NHS, we're doing very well. So that's the first thing. The second thing, is um, regarding the general well-being of the country. Now, this is a lot harder to pinpoint, but I think we all know that Britain does have a lot of health problems. A lot of the things we um, sort of may have inherited from the United States, things like sort of obesity and um, um, as well as the prevalence of um, high sugar amongst many children. Uh, and, and this is as a result of fast food and unhealthy foods and unhealthy diets. So what the government did, and I remember this distinctly when I was in primary school, is that the, you might remember Ben, there was a sort of food pie chart. On one side was carbohydrates uh, and the I, other was uh, vegetables. Yeah, yeah. and at yeah. the bottom, a very small section was uh, fats, so to speak. And 
I think, you know, when the government changed that to a far more complex one, as a primary um, school student, I was like, no, they made it more complicated. But now that I'm older and I look back, I think that's a very good move because we have had an obesity problem in this country and it affects productivity in industries and it generally just affects people in terms of health. And we don't want that. As, as a country, we want to stay generally healthy because that's what allows us to live longer. It's what allows us to, you know, basically be more prosperous as a country and um, this is the roadblock I found where the government has made these moves and I think that's all well and good but I think there hasn't been much emphasis on that front I think we still have huge problems with obesity we still have huge problems with you know um, fast food and diets and, and and I don't think the government has acted um, a lot because there are still people in this country who will fast food eat fast food all the time uh, especially young children. I remember learning that actually in this country, on kids' channels, you're not allowed to show ad, um, advertisements of sugary foods and drinks. But whilst that's a good move, there still seems to be a massive prevalence of um, sugary foods and drinks in our stores and chocolates. And look, I love chocolates and I love, uh, you know, fizzy drinks and whatnot. But I think there's a lack of discipline, especially amongst the youth who are generally more affected. And because the youth generally can eat a lot more when they get older, they start feeling the effects of um, unhealthy diets. For example, um, there's a general myth that fat is bad for you. Well, that depends on what type of fat, unsaturated or saturated fat. And moreover, generally, it turns out that a, a, a great cause of sort of um, an increase in weight and an increase in um, fat composition in the body is actually carbohydrates, carbs and starch and, and sugars generally. And, and it's really mainly sugar. It's why also orange juice, very, um, you know, in recent times, people have called on to the fact that orange juice isn't actually a healthy alternative mm. to um, fizzy drinks. It's just as sugary. And what's even worse is orange juice. Orange juice is just the juice of fruits, but without the fibers, without the roughage, so to speak. So, you know, I think these things really need to be spoken about. And they are, but I think we haven't, at least from what I have observed, we haven't seen really the government pushing in the last five years to push Britain to a healthier diet. And I think people, you know, I mean, fruits, vegetables, um, and, and a small amount of dairy and a small amount of, you know, good fats and cholesterol. I think these things make up a good diet. And I'm not a dietitian, but um, I, I believe really that we as a nation are missing out on a healthy diet and the government needs to push for this. I think really, um, that combined with the fact that we need to put more funding towards the NHS is what will ultimately allow our national healthcare system be under less strain. A lot of people to this day go to the hospital simply because of problems caused by an unhealthy diet. And the national healthcare system doesn't need that. The national healthcare system <coughs> with injuries and, and far more serious things. And unfortunately, um, whilst of course unhealthy diets are very serious, there are easy ways to avoid this. And the government needs to realize this. A healthy diet for the people means a healthy dealing for the NHS. And it means that the NHS is under less strain and um, is, is viable for more funding, I think. Mm, you bring up some very, very interesting points. And it's a great way of looking at it, both the health of the nation and um, the health of the NHS itself. 
uh, which as we know is struggling. Uh, I do think in terms of obesity, uh, like the government, of course, they put up uh, lots of public health programs recently. Uh, and I mean, there is, a, as you said, a big, uh, many people are pushing for more government involvement. Uh, but I think also alongside that, there should be like a, uh, I don't want to be too laissez-faire, but it is down to like a personal choice at the end of the day. I mean, the government can definitely encourage people uh, more, you could argue, uh, but a diff like, you know, each individual can take their own decisions with their diet. And, you know, happily, there are lots of people that do that, that look at themselves in the mirror and think, this is not what I want to look like. And they make changes for the better in their lives. And um, that's something that's very respectful. And also on the NHS, uh, because there's been a big push for more funding, especially from the government themselves, to be honest, uh, who want more hospitals. They want to shorten any waiting times that are ever increasing and shorten operation patient lists, which again, increasingly longer. But the problem is the funding levels in NHS are higher than they've ever been. I'm pretty confident of that. Um, but still the problem's getting worse. So while funding and more funding is more important, there needs to be probably a more methodical way of investing that money rather than just chucking it and hoping that it works. There needs to be some sort of task force uh, across the country, something that even if it's quite expensive, I think it could be worth it that end of the day thinking, how do we address these problems? How is the best way to look at different uh, healthcare systems around the world? Okay. So the final topic, and if we just briefly touch over this, is the environment. Of course, we discussed it a few weeks ago uh, when it was a boiling heat wave, you know, in some places upwards of 40 degrees Celsius, which is simply astonishing. Uh, but we were discussing before the show that while we put the environment third, which is an average position on our list, uh, you know, uh, many people will undoubtedly put it first thing as the number one priority issue. The thing with the climate, it's more of a long-term problem. Of course, we've seen some problems recently in this country. I'm not going to deny that. But to not get worse over time is where the cost of living crisis, for example, will have more detrimental effects to the British people um, in the shorter term because it's more damaging in a shorter period of time. Uh, and we were both discussing, you know, we're not climate deniers, we're not going to go Alex Jones on this show <laughs> and act like it doesn't exist. Uh, but at the same token, uh, we believe there are more important issues at the present moment. But of course, we don't deny that it's very serious and it's something that we need to stand by and try and reach those net zero targets by 2050. So... I think we both agree on that, don't we? Yes, yes. I, I mean, I would elaborate, but I think what you said there is certainly correct. I, I think it is a more long-standing issue and uh, perhaps requires more international cooperation um, as well as just domestic. Yeah, and of course we had COP26 only last year. Uh, actually, around the time of this episode going up, it'll be about a year since that um, event, and I imagine it'll be more different climate agreements uh, and it's an international thing. We all need to work together. You know, the causes are global, the impacts are global, and the response must also be global. And every single country in the world, especially the big countries uh, that emit the most carbon, 
need to commit to this if we are to uh, avoid climate change having big effects, like quite disastrous effects on our world, on planet Earth. So that's the end of the episode. This one, uh, as again, is the final of three episodes, which are a bit shorter. Uh, and now it's time for On This Day in Politics. And this one, it's kind of a stretch and it's in politics because there honestly wasn't a lot to talk about. Uh, but I've went with, in 1998, Google was founded, uh, which of course is the biggest search engine in the world. It's connected people to many different uh, voices, opinions, articles, and of course has informed politics massively. And uh, actually a few years ago, if you can remember, the Google CEO went in front of Congress in America, and there was criticism of Google searches engines, you know, putting forward uh, more the like different articles. They may be from Fox News, higher up on the list, or it could be from CNN, of course, who sit on different sides of the political spectrum. So that is all for today's episode. Please remember to follow us on all of our platforms, including subscribing to the podcast. Also check us out on YouTube. Uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as we said, next week, we will know who the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom will be. Will it be Liz Truss? Will it be Rishi Sunak? Find out next time. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.